this is our podcast that we've started and yes i'm jen <laughs> i'm jane yeah um start. it's a good start to say who we are um and what we've known each other since july 2020 something like that isn't it june pandemic july? friendship yes yeah. <laughs> yeah we've never met we've never actually met in person physically which is quite mad we both think each other flat yes exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i've i've never actually seen uh the 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 bottom half which sounds weird and i only know you're five foot six and i'm five foot four you didn't know that <laughs> no. so i know you're taller than me oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah god that's gonna be weird see that's gonna be really weird when we do actually meet in person that'd be good at least you're not six foot two i'm looking forward to that yeah no i definitely not six foot two yeah yeah so yeah so we we met over LinkedIn. Well, it was, it was, LinkedIn wasn't it it was LinkedIn you liked something that I had said and and then we kept turning up on posts similar posts yeah, yeah. and then and then yeah and then you gave me a call which was pretty good uh which walking was, around the playing field which walking around the playing field which hadn't actually happened to me before which was pretty cool but also um it was out of my comfort zone because phone calls are not my not thing. my uh not my thing yet <laughs> which we'll probably come to talk about at some point funny i have a history of that too you didn't know that ah okay right no i did not know that yeah yeah which is why actually i think i'm more comfortable I know i'm more comfortable engaging with people i either do whatsapp messages voice messages over zoom like this where i can see people or I'm I'm okay with you know a WhatsApp video message when I can actually see people I'm a lot more comfortable when it's over the phone I, I just yeah I'm not uh, not as comfortable with that anyway anyway so which yeah will be a whole new story and kind of why we're doing the podcast exactly about being human <laughs> yes yes exactly yeah so so we've bonded over our our interests, which initially started with like uh, moon stuff, biodynamic living, um, and then we've realised as we've come to know each other that we share. Uh, well, we have what 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 would we say? Uh, pasts of events that have impacted us in some way. Would we say we've impacted our health? Yeah, because I mean, I mean, for me, health is mental and physical. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy because I generally speak about it, and clients know trauma history. So yeah, um, finding commonality and interest that we could share, and somebody like me that likes going down rabbit holes. Yeah. Because yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. That's my, that's my, if, if you're going to say if I got a fitness regime, it's going down rabbit holes. Yeah. So if they ever decide to bring that out as an actual rabbit hole, <laughs> that we could go down like an assault course, that'd be fun. Um, but I think that was what I met. I met my match for rabbit hole fitness. Yes. Uh, when I met you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everything excited us and we were just intrigued by things and what each other knew and had experienced. So I think yeah. that was what oh. went well. Oh. Sorry, was that, was that giving me a sign? Yeah, Chewie's decided to join in and just start barking at something, and I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think uh, yeah, rabbit holes is is a good description 
yeah is is a good way to put it and that's it so for me that's what the podcast allows me to do with you which is great yeah is to go down these rabbit holes of just being human how crazy and strange and challenging yeah and and traumatic and difficult and I think from my perspective it's putting it it, it, it there's obviously it's serious but with with some fun attached because I think this is one of the things that we show that you can build great relationships from yeah. difficult things yeah so yeah, it's exactly. going to be interesting it's going to be fun it's going to have be thought-provoking but really about how strange we are as humans and yeah, uh, yeah inviting everyone down with us yeah exactly exactly so so let's say then because we, we we both prepared our little bits to say what the what the podcast is going to be about yeah. so yeah. let's 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 look at that so what is the uh see it's funny because we, we've called it the all being well podcast and 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 instantly saying being human sort of is the name just seems to fit doesn't it the being human but uh we'll have to we'll have to have a think about that what we're actually gonna yeah get. this may be the working title yeah now. we may we may shift um yeah we could move it uh, okay yeah. so, so you go first what what is the uh podcast about so here's one i made earlier yeah in in true blue peter kind of way so yeah all being well for me is a podcast it's about being a human animal and it's really hard um, and we're going to explore what's behind the strangeness and complexity of how we think and behave. So that's for me what the All Being Well podcast is about. Over to you, Jen. OK, so, yeah, so I said it's about humans and our health, uh, both physically and mentally, and how we don't understand enough about why our bodies react the way they do to certain situations like traumatic events. Uh, we have built-in fail-safe procedures but most of us are not aware of them and so when they kick in we think we're going mad or we think we're broken whereas yeah. actually they're things that we're supposed to be doing so yes so and that's that's what it's going to be about that's it. <laughs> and but to, yeah we we'll be doing this to the day we die i think because it's yeah. never going to end is it no, um really not. so much interesting stuff so why are we so interested in this topic? Well, we've already kind of said. Um, so yeah, we do share a lot of interesting similarities around our story. Um, my story of trauma started in childhood. Um, so it's kind, of a, it's kind of a lonely thing. So I think discovering, particularly in the pandemic, uh, so many conversations coming, um, coming out of, around this. And I think it's got a lot of hope. Um, and then meeting Jen. So, I would say that it's a personal and professional obsession now um, with the topic um, that's led us to where we are. So yeah, we're we're interested in this because I think literally we're living and breathing it. Over to you, Jen. Oh, it agrees. Yeah, I yeah. So I I, I said that um, I'm particularly interested in discussing the topic of being human because I want to learn more about it and the way that we are. Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess we, you know, I, I have a history of, of sort of mental health challenges and uh, exacerbated by, you know, physical health challenges as well. And um, I just realised that there's just not enough information. Uh, we don't understand enough. And it's yet yeah, to, to, to meet yourself and meet someone that is as 
that wants to question things as much as me as well and not just accept the status quo i i think that's you know um i think that's that's exciting for me and 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 why i think this podcast will be really interesting because we'll just uh we'll just i want to discover things that you know will be interesting to other people because we all need to understand it we all need to understand our bodies and we should understand our bodies particularly yeah. being female because the amount of stuff that goes on in a female body as well is quite crazy <laughs> yeah there isn't a guidebook we don't get we don't get that instruction manual for being no. human, you know so we are all figuring ourselves out and we don't understand ourselves and so i'm yeah i'm in agreement with you jen of course so the aim of the podcast um as i said it is the opportunity to come down this rabbit hole. It's an invitation. It's an open invitation. We may have no one, Jen, that wants to come down. Our yeah. but we'll enjoy it. <laughs> we'll enjoy it. Um, we want to open minds, give people opportunities to ask questions, discover um, and learn. And just, I think, um, to quote Dr. Stephen Porges, it's actually to look on ourselves in awe. Um, and be absolutely fascinated and awe-inspired by the mighty thing that is being a human animal and how complex it is. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I think for me, it's um, uh, challenging people, you know, the, 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 the lovely people who are going to listen to this podcast, uh, it's challenging them um, to start thinking about you know these things and, and a little bit of education because of course it's not just going to be you a lot yeah, yeah. This. A lot we have got yeah we have got um a, a lovely professional joining us to to discuss stuff as well and 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 hopefully i'm hoping we're going to be able to invite other people in as well yeah you know to to join the conversation and and bring more people in um specialists within their field all that kind of stuff and yeah and and, and maybe everyday people when well, nobody's everyday but you know people everyday people that can be anybody with with any kind of background who's got something i don't know something that just fits around this whole this area of interest that we have um, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. so i mean so yeah, all our topics, I mean, start around, I guess, trauma, isn't it really is, is the main thing that, that drives yeah, it. Yeah, we're, we're beginning with trauma. And I think what, what I'd love is for people to be really fascinated by how, how we are designed to survive. Mm. So the weird things that we do, the behavior and how we think and react and respond, there's a point to it. Yeah. And that's the point that actually helps us realise we are quite awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're starting with trauma and then I think it's literally going to be, yeah, we never know where we might be where going. Absolutely. And, and again, people could people could comment and, and yeah. there's no place they'd like us to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be really nice. Yeah, for people to say, oh, actually, you know, could you could you have a look at this and and, and discuss this topic? And, yeah, we'll do our best to discuss it. Oh, yeah, and, and I think, you know, from a personal perspective, when you're having a difficult time, you can't always trust another human being. Hmm. And if this podcast raises uh, a little bit of, or, or shines a light on a topic where somebody has felt unsafe, but they don't know who to talk to and they don't yeah. feel ready to get the helpline or whatever, the professional support, we might be able to offer 
a little yeah. bit of, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel yeah i think that would be nice yeah definitely for it to be share yeah. resources yeah i mean there's all sorts of opportunities aren't there yeah i think so it's yeah nice it's lovely yeah well i mean if 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 you are listening to this probably our one listener <laughs> thank you for joining thank us you. yeah <laughs> thank you for joining us and we'll create a way that you can get in touch um and uh yeah we'll just sort of put it all together as we're going you can tell this is you know it's not a professional outfit we're not <laughs> we're not going into you know doing this sort of in a in no, our, and I, I, you know what? May, maybe that's refreshing. I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 about sort of just inviting you along, as we said, down the yes. rabbit holes. Yeah. We'll share resources, links to links to places to get support and help. Yeah. The disclaimer, I guess, is we're not here to offer medical advice. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there'll we're be not you know, professional help lines, yeah. help lines, whatever we do professionally. This isn't the platform for that. Yeah. This is just literally conversations around what we're very interested in. Hmm. Um, so please don't come here, you know, to get sort of professional advice. It's not the platform for that. Um, but resources, please take them and uh, we wish you well yeah absolutely yeah i think that sounds good hey look you know graham norton has to say it every week doesn't he when he, he says we're not just to remind you we're not professionals <laughs> <laughs> so i think it's necessary but yeah lovely all right well well we'll say welcome to our listeners and um we hope you enjoy the podcast yeah thank you thank you for spending that what that one listener thank you yeah, for joining yeah. us if you've if you've chosen to yeah absolutely and, uh, yeah look out for the resources that we'll be sharing yeah uh, and we wish you well and we've gone with the idea i mean i was i was looking at the fireside thing and and just thinking this is really about we want it to feel comfortable for everyone yes. people like you know everyone involved everyone listening yeah make it chatty yeah um, and as i sat there this morning you know going through with my phone and thinking what do we what do I say here and I just thought actually it's even down to intros I was I've got your bio here okay uh, and what what's made me smile is looking at it today you know when you're really concentrating because there's nothing else you're thinking about is is our crossover and how natural it is that we met yeah <laughs> and yeah. connect on yeah. this because some of the stuff that you say and it's like oh gosh that resonates mm. so I suppose from Jen do come in because uh, I think the three of us have got like really good even when our energy is not great we've got really good energy so from my perspective I think the best person to tell us a little bit about you Jessica is you not me do or Jen do like you know intro as such I think just okay. what you think is important for people to know mm. uh, we kind of look at maybe video conferencing and your yeah. brilliant take on it so over, over to you really I think Sure. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, so my name's Jessica. I suppose that's always a good place to start. Um, I started working in mental health in like 2000, I think, and then trying to be a counsellor and then trying to be a psychotherapist and ended up quite organically working in trauma predominantly, working with trauma, working with anxiety, working with sort of stress states, but working in a lot of different services and even in my own private practice with people that had experienced all different sorts of trauma. So 
you know, people often say what's trauma and they think of really horrific things happening in childhood, but also just, I've worked with people who've experienced trauma because they are neurodiverse and the world just feels more traumatic because they have sensory sensitivities. I've worked with people who have had car accidents or been bullied at work or, you know, all different sorts of things that the body has perceived and the brain has perceived as traumatic. And it was in that that I think I kind of really have developed to where I am now, which is kind of perceiving stress, anxiety, fear states, trauma, anything traumatic as something that predominantly happens in our bodies. You know, it's it's sort of, I think just, just earlier on today, I heard the term, I think it was something like biopsychosocial. And I thought, oh, I wow. really like, yeah, biopsychosocial, because it really brings together everything that I think I'm sort of working around. Um, in the work that I do is about thinking about the human body and the human mind as it exists in its environment and that not one of those three things is kind of really less than or more than or, or, or less or more valid when we're talking about mental health and, and mental and emotional physical well-being. So the work that I do now is really kind of looking at how movement and breath work and mindfulness and this stuff that people are talking about quite a lot and I think some people are even getting a bit sick of but I think it's still really really relevant and valid if we can find ways to use it that feel helpful and healthy and help us to kind of deal with with life's ups and downs and stresses and pains and difficulties a bit more so I've kind of done lots of additional training and I'm, I'm talking lots of uh, but yeah I've done lots of additional training kind of around the neurobiology of stress and distress and really looking at how more simple functional movement and breath based techniques and tools can interrupt and help us manage those things rather than necessarily doing always needing to do kind of long term narrative and dialogue based sort of interventions and psychological interventions, which I think are really valid, but I think they have one place when we're thinking about working with stress and trauma and distress. Mm -hmm. so, so the work I do is a little bit different now. It's not really talking based work anymore. And I think it's so relevant. What about you, Jen? I mean, what are your thoughts on hearing what Jessica's got to say? I was, I was interested actually, yeah. So, so, it's not, so it's not talking therapy that's, that you're doing Oh, no, okay. yeah, so I, I have trained as a psychotherapist and I worked yeah. for 16 years as a psychotherapist, but the work that I'm doing now is predominantly sort of around movement, mindfulness and breath work geared within right. okay. um, a sort of set of um, theories of like, so there's a theory called polyvagal theory and polyvagal theory is created by Stephen Porges and you probably know about it, it's, but just sort of giving our, giving thought to the way our body responds to stress and distress and trauma yeah. and for me I think it's interesting that even somatic therapies are often still quite narrative based they're thinking how can I intellectually make sense of what my body is experiencing stress distress and trauma live in the body so for me I'm kind of the work that I've done for myself primarily and then later with clients has kind of become more and more about tools and techniques so when I'm feeling stressed when I'm feeling anxious when I'm feeling kind of floppy and disconnected what can I do that will aid that and in a sort of wider sense what can I practice on a day-to-day -day basis that will build my nervous system up to a place where a I know it really well so I know what state I'm in and b I know what will help it but I know where I'm at and I have some resilience some ability to bounce up and down that kind of nervous system ladder yeah, so the work I'm doing is kind of 
it's rooted in my work as a psychotherapist, my understanding around mental health. Um, but but really, I, I'm kind of moving a lot really away from talking as yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of more the, the the solution based of you know kind of the okay. So this is the issue. You know how can I manage it? Because um, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I like, think myself, I've I've you know I've attended therapy for, for years, and um, I'm a big believer in talking therapy. But certainly, yeah, um, one of the things that I would come away from the sessions thinking. Oh, I'd love to learn some things. They always mentioned CBT, but that never really happened. I, I'd love to learn some things that are going to help me cope in those moments where I'm triggered or, or I have a moment. And, and that didn't really happen. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I, to be honest, what you're doing, I, I wasn't actually aware that it really existed in that, in that form. Yeah. It, 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 well, I've kind of made it up. <laughs> yeah. ah, okay. I've kind of made this up because I felt for my for me very very similarly I felt like I've done huge amounts of one-to-one -one therapy as a client and I've delivered therapy for clients for many many years and that's absolutely it it sort of feels like it's wonderful to have this kind of this relationship that feels caring and, and supportive and it's wonderful to have these dialogues that help us make sense of who we are in yeah. the world of our experiences our thoughts our beliefs our relationships our patterns this is great stuff but 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 all research shows feelings and trauma and all of this stuff is happening in our bodies that that sort of idea of it being separate the mind and the body mm. we, we know that isn't real anymore we know that you know, mental health is physical health. You know, those two things can't kind of be, can't be ripped apart anymore. Yes. In the Cartesian dualism of the medical model, the mind and the, and the body. I think for me, it's sort of, it has felt really empowering to be able to take care of my own emotional well-being, whether I'm in therapy or not. You know, so I might be exploring things with a therapist and that's a very particular kind of work. But the idea that my mental and emotional well-being is something that I can have a capacity to notice like an observer like a therapist inside my head I think that's what mindfulness often develops for us the noticing part that goes oh your, your heart rate's a bit fast your diaphragm's a bit tight you're you're, you're doing the, the fist thing I do this fist thing like this you know uh, what does that you know what's going on and then what do you need and then having this whole box of things and tools and activities that I can pull out and go I need that yeah, that's what I need. Yeah, yeah, because so many different things, but physically yeah. we know what to do. You know, if I if my back's feeling a bit, oh, you yes. know, a bit stiff or whatever, I know how to bend and give it a bit of a stretch and an exercise. Yes. I, I would have no idea what to do. You know, if I'm suddenly feeling quite anxious and not really sure what I would do. Yeah, and it is for me. It's sort of like there's a, there's a lack of connecting things up. So I think like the research. That, that you sent Jane about sort of looking at Zoom fatigue and everyone's like, wow, everyone's so fatigued and we don't know why this is. And I think, yes, you do. There are lots of neuroscientists doing research into how the eyes work and into what it happens to our brains when we stare for long periods of time. We absolutely do know why Zoom fatigue is a, is a thing. And it isn't just multitasking or just seeing yourself. There's lots of reasons why we're getting tired. And the use of the eyes in a very particular way is probably the biggest one. So I think it's really sad. It's like, where's the connections? You've got, you know, the Andrew Hubbermans of the world doing this fantastic research into the optic nerve and, and how that connects up with, with trauma. And, and we know that what staring does to the brain, and yet that's not being connected up with people thinking about 
the way people work and the way we use screens. And I think that's where I kind of come in and think, well, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a research person, but I know there are really simple things we can do to help us feel a little bit better, a little yeah. find things a little bit easier. Whether it's, yes, I'm feeling a bit anxious this morning or I'm feeling really flat and, and difficult to move when I wake up or whatever it is, there are so many interventions that we can make that are based on what we know about how the human brain and nervous system works. And isn't that a beautiful introduction into looking at video conferencing? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love what you've said, because that, again, Jen, you you probably heard this, but that's really the connection originally with Jessica. I saw somebody like me and we want to belong, uh, or maybe I heard somebody like me at the beginning and making it up thing, I think is, is what we'd actually call innovation because mm. we couldn't see it. We could feel something. We knew with our clients and our history, mm. shared a quite similar history and our own personal therapeutic sort of experiences. And then realizing that it is a, it's a toolkit that people can actually start to add to. And again, in your bio, Jessica, that, that kind of all of that comes out to me and speaks to me. So I, you know, what Jen and I were sort of talking about with the sort of fireside kind of podcast idea and all being well, you know, if we're well, what does that look like and what can we do? And I think with video conferencing, um, as Jen's done like massive, wonderful research, which I guess, Jen, some of that we could share with listeners. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, and we'll probably put something together um, at some point, no doubt, that yeah. would be a sort of you know, yeah. maybe an in-depth kind of um, sign up to kind of thing. Um, but, you know, really, we, we leapt into um, communication and, you know, video conferencing, Zoom being the, probably the, one of the most well-known, that kind of stepped up and everyone just leapt into it and businesses just went, right, we take it from here to here. So mm. for a starter, I guess, Jessica, I, I'd be so interested for you to share um, kind of what what that what somebody might be experiencing and like you said these are no-brainers mm -hmm. that's the key here it is not surprising we don't need 20 years of research actually there are fundamental things that are happening so could you take us through your your you know your insightful kind of thoughts on on video conferencing and, and kind of what people's experiences and then a little later we could do a few takeaways maybe if that's okay yeah, mm. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think for me, one of the most key things about using Zoom, like I was sort of saying, is, is to do with, I mean, there's so many different bits of it that are not the same as being in a room with someone. And we all know that. Everybody talks about it, whether they've got, they don't necessarily have to be trained therapists or neurobiologists or anything like that. We know it's not the same. And I think we know it's not the same in a really visceral body and felt way so most people say yeah I know it's not the same I don't know exactly what's different but I know it's not the same and I think that's that's that sort of really human body knowing and I think so there's lots of things that go on I think the first thing you know that I always say is we're social animals and and that means that we connect through our bodies through our viscera and through our nervous systems and research shows you know again and again that if my heart rate goes up your heart rate goes up if you can manage to bring your heart rate down by breathing a bit more slowly it's likely that my heart rate will go down all of that communication happens between human beings constantly all the time whenever we're in, in each other this company and it does still happen when we are speaking to each other on screens not always in exactly the same way but it does I think the thing that's often really different when we're using a screen and I think this is it's such a simple thing that is different is the way we use our eyes for sure so 
when I'm looking at a screen, I have a tendency, I've turned myself you off, but I'm gonna see if I can do it anyway. I have a tendency, most of us do, to be right in the middle of the screen, um, real portrait, and I stare. I stare at you. Mm -hmm. After a while, my face gets quite blank. We've all been in meetings, haven't we? Yeah. We're looking at a lot of faces and everybody's just, there's this really blank. And I always think, God, it reminds me of sort of, this is horror movie face, isn't it? <laughs> No, this is just nothing. This is just that kind of really frightening nothing face. Yeah. And I think, again, it's like, a, this is something that I actually do in trainings with people where I get them to sit facing each other and pull different faces for like a minute and see how the other person feels. So do nothing, just stare at each other with blank face or angry face or friendly face. And your nervous system will respond really quickly. So, you know, one of the key things about Zoom is what other people are doing on Zoom because they don't feel like they're in a space with other people. They yeah. do something they might not normally do. They probably wouldn't do that if they were sitting around a table in a, in a meeting room in an office. They, they do smiling and nodding and, and, and they move to the side. And they look and they turn their heads and they look down. And what's happening all the while they're doing that is their eyes are moving. So one of the things that you can look out for is when the little muscles around the eyes stop moving, something very different is happening with the optic nerve. So that, the eyes aren't just for seeing we take a lot of data in through our eyes and the optic nerve has a lot of connections with lots of different bits of the brain and when we do staring this this really only has a couple of purposes and one of the key things that i think is really relevant here is that staring eyes are eyes that are looking for threat so um, when you stare still at one spot it's very similar to when you would have looked oh, in the jungle where's the where's the predator yeah. The other time we do it is with detail work, but it's sort of, there's still movement. It's just very small, finite movement. But these really still staring eyes, what they do is in that really simplistic way, and the brain is much more complex than this, but what they do is frontal lobes start to turn off a little bit and the back brain, threat center, fight, flight, freeze, starts to go on. And that's where we see the stress in the body. And that's where we see people's innovation and creativity and all of this stuff diminish. We see it diminish because they are sitting and staring. Sitting wow. and staring like this, not okay for the brain. It, it is really as simple as that. We, we, we would never do that. You would look around a room. So just moving your head would change things. You would look around a room. If you were in a meeting with 20 people or five people or even one person, you would move. And there's all sorts of little muscles in the neck that will play in here, but you will move your eyes and your optic nerve. Yeah. So if someone's gone into a state in the sort of therapy world, we'd call it dissociation. In the neuroscience world, they'll call it a freeze state. And it is part of the fight, flight, freeze. It's part of a, a fear response. The first, the best way to know if someone's in a freeze state is, are the little muscles around their eyes moving? Because if they're not, and they're not for a prolonged period of time, we know that that particular threat response is starting to, or has fully come on. And, and when you've got fight, flight, freeze and flop and friend and the other sort of threat responses coming on, I always sort of think it's like the, the volume bars on an old sort of equaliser. So the frontal lobes where we do all that wonderful thinking and negotiating and planning and creative reflective stuff starts to go down. And then the back of the brain, the fight, flight, freeze starts to go up. So it might not be fully off and this is all completely on like you would be if a car was hurtling towards you but it's but it's changing we want we don't want this this moves all the time the fight flight freeze is a normal thing that happens all day every day we all get stressed we'll get a bit 
bit overwhelmed or a bit frozen sometimes and that's fine but we don't want to be stuck in any of those things where the frontal part of the brain is really not it's not online this takes a lot of energy you know running the front part of the brain the higher executive functioning I always think like a car it's like loads of petrol and and so, so then what you're talking about is the diversion of energy in the brain. So instead of it running the, this very complicated higher executive functioning, it's running the threat center. And that's when you see people getting more and more into these floppy places. They might not even be staring at the screen anymore. They might just be staring down at their keyboard. And I think they go, it's, it's almost quite trance-like. And that's where, again, as a psychotherapist, we might use the term dissociation. I think when you're looking for you know, 10, 20 people on a screen and they're all doing blank face, we're looking at people that are starting to dissociate. And then you look down, well, what does that do? It slows the heart rate down, it slows digestion down. The muscles tend to become either very tense or very, very sort of overly floppy, but we're not active and alive and engaged. And all of that thinking and feeling stuff becomes really, really difficult. Mm. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'm very aware when when I'm on a Zoom meeting of what my eyes are doing, because normally in a meeting face to face, I'm a doodler. I'm a yeah. big I'm a big note taker as well. Um, but I will doodle. And that's, mm. you know, and, and normally it doesn't matter that I'm not constantly engaged. You know, I'm yeah. in the room and, you know, and I'm just doodling. But but. I'm so aware now that when you're on the screen, everyone can see you. So if you look yes. like that or you do this, they're thinking she's on her phone, she's doing her emails, yeah. she's not engaged in the meeting, yeah. basically, which, yes, yeah, so you do. You end up like this, yeah. <laughs> just and, staring and then, at the screen. And then on comes the threat response. So either you're doing the freeze thing, like I'm just describing, or you'll start to people see people's eyes really jumping around because yeah. then they're going to fly and flight. They're feeling really stressed. They're feeling, and that's often where they feel so stressed that they start doing a hundred other things. Let me just check my emails. Let me just, let me just, let me just, because that's what anxiety does to us. It just kind of speed up. Yeah. What's interesting about what you said about doodling is there's a real connection between what our hands are doing and what our brain's doing. So when you doodle, if you kind of draw slowly with your hand, in fact, it's what, something I often used to do with clients, you get them to draw a line out in front of their torso from as slowly, more and more slowly as if they were holding a pretend pen. Yeah. It actually slows your thinking down. It keeps oh. you online. Right. <laughs> it is absolutely. So if you wanted your threat center to start to turn off and, and this higher executive functioning, this clever frontal part of the brain to go on, doodling would be a really good thing to do. Right. So what a shame that that's yes. been taken away from you and, and I would assume from, from millions of other people who don't feel yeah. comfortable, like you say, looking down. Yeah. You know, rather than maybe at the beginning of a meeting being able to say, I'm a doodler, I'm going to look down, I'm still listening, and everybody will go, yes, me too, or oh, okay, and that that would be okay and acceptable. Because we might need to say things out loud that we wouldn't because people could see you were just sort of doodling and writing notes Mm -hmm. and that that's your way of quite creatively listening and being engaged with what's happening in a meeting yeah people would see that if you were in the room with them and they wouldn't feel threatened with your disconnection because if I look away from you like this for a long time and you were talking to me you'd feel like I disconnected that I wasn't here with you and so we know all of this, don't we? We kind of, even if we don't think it consciously, we all know that people need us to, to look at them and be, be connected and engaged. And so you're trying to do the right thing, but in doing it, it's very likely that in fact, you're doing your brain a disservice. Mm. Mm. And, 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 and Sorry, Jim. Sorry, I was just gonna say, because I've literally just done this, this networking meeting. And I mean, there were 
four screens that you could scroll across so there's a lot of people there and we got put into about three different uh breakout rooms yeah. and it was with people that uh i don't know you're saying about judging a book by its cover but if i was in the room with those people one-on-one -on -one, there are certain people that i will gravitate to and that i'll be yes. interested in and you just get put in this room <laughs> you just you just get shoved yeah. in this room with people you don't know and you look at them and you just think i probably wouldn't engage with you in real life you know yeah. it, it's really weird and then you're sort of stuck in there for 10 minutes all having to chat it's really bizarre <laughs> it's it, it is and it's it, even things like that it is jarring and shocking and and i think we don't often realize how sensitive our threat center is our brain is all it's really doing constantly is trying to keep us alive so the threat center is really useful it's always looking for threat if you were like in a in a kind of sci-fi movie situation suddenly in a different room with different people <gasps> your body would go oh, what what happened yeah. what happened yeah. so there's a little part of us although intellectually we understand what's happening on zoom i think there very much is that much more kind of again visceral body part of us that goes what you know and yeah. it's a bit a bit of a stun and I always think it's like it would be so simple to say to people okay everybody turn their cameras off for a moment you know turn everything off just for a moment I'm going to put you into rooms I just want you to take a few deep breaths you know we get you know you're going to come in slowly you know just just kind of turn your camera back on when you're ready and it's, it's an interesting idea of kind of when to go in when to go out things like that it's, uh, I do a lot of improv and one of the things I've been doing with my improv teacher recently is the classes have been a lot about kind of when to come in and go hello <laughs> and when to go back and go out and I think feeling that you're in charge of that helps you feel safe and if yeah. you feel safe you're online you're engaged you're able to be more present, more functioning, more able to work and be creative and, and connecting. And so there's, there's, there's sort of little ways that that could be sort of thought around, you know, mm. just kind of letting people know rather than dumping them in in that quite shocking way. Yeah. And you're just suddenly there. But okay. kind of thinking, if I was in charge, if I came in when I wanted to, I turned my camera back on when I felt ready. Okay, I'm in the room now. I'm out of the big group. I'm in the room. And now hello you know and you arrive when you choose to like you would in the real world yes because you walk through the door when when you chose to so much of your control is taken away mm. and when that happens to us we feel vulnerable and we don't feel safe it's, it's just absolutely fascinating isn't it and i think this is it and that's what i i knew this would be just fab i knew this podcast would be great um it is that it's down to the control is all taken away isn't it yeah um I'm thinking, you know, you go to, imagine you went to a doctor's surgery appointment or something, some kind of, you know, medical meeting <clears throat> and somebody calls you through and you can gather yourself, can't you? You know, we've all yeah. perhaps done it. You just naturally go into breathing, thinking, um, will it be okay? Will it not be okay? But you've got that time. You walk, you enter the door, you turn the knob, you shut it. Somebody says something hopefully quite nice and you sit. But this is like bang. Yes. And as you say, it's a bit, this is a bit like being forced onto stage mm -hmm. to perform. Yeah. Um, and I think we've just got, as with most things, this is an amazing opportunity to innovate it, to say, you know, breaking it down as you're doing, Jessica, into how is it we function and tick? How are we best? How do we best be if you put us in this sort of, this, this new way of forming bonds and relationships? Um, and clearly just 
just clicking switches and saying, you know, you're in a room and, and Jen, that kind of makes me laugh because it, it is a bit like, um, it reminds me of Star Trek and, and being beamed up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have that time to be beamed up. You're like, you're not kind of slowly yes. visibly appearing, are you? You're like, bang. Yeah. Oh, um, and then there's everybody's responses and you feel them. And I know that some of us are maybe more, we're going to have different sensitivities, but it's still quite alien. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, with that being the case, Jessica, what what kind of thing, just give us a, maybe a, just a little taster that we can, you know, we can get excited to know more. Um, what, what are a few tasters that we could think about? Because we've, we've literally covered... Um, in the sense, the importance of eyes um, mm-hmm. and our sense of being present and what that means to us and the threat response and that kind of thing, which is really primitive. Um, so what kind of things, if you could give us like three little things that we could consider. I love the idea of being creative um, as well, because when we're creative, we can't kind of be in that in that fear state. It's so much harder because, like you said, where we are in the brain. So, yeah, over to you, really. And what, what, what sort of little things would you suggest that we could we could pass on and use? Yeah, I think you know one of the biggest things for me is to do with feeling that what you do with your eyes, you are in control of. Um, and one of the things, like a really quick tip to start to learn that is to get people to sort of reach their hands out either side of their head like a T and wiggle their fingers until they can see them in their peripheral vision. And try and go as far out as you can and think, well, where's my peripheral vision? It's different if you've got glasses on, isn't it? But it's sort of, okay, there's my peripheral vision. I can see my fingers, yeah? And if I were to drop my hands, could I keep my eyes like that? And it might be difficult. But one of the things that I would suggest that people who are using Zoom a lot are doing is finding ways to bring their peripheral vision back online. Because when, when we're staring, we are in, in quite a myopic state and we're taking quite a small amount of detailed data. And as I said, that triggers a threat response. When we bring the peripheral vision back online, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but that's one way. When we do that, we, we start to reduce the threat response. So to me, that's there's loads of ways to do work around the eyes, depending on how you use Zoom and where you're working and all those sorts of things. But that's kind of a, a beginning of thinking of what's the difference between that kind of myopic vision and peripheral vision. Um, and actually, you said something interesting. You said, what if I was in a doctor's surgery? I would get up and I would walk to... To, to the and it's in that walking what's interesting about walking is that we move our left and our right bodies and when we move our left and our right bodies we do great things to the brain so so we know that from therapies and interventions like emdr and we know it from from lots of other types of therapies and i think we just know it in our body we know it from doing things like yoga we know it from doing things like dancing um, and somatic therapies use sort of left right movements a lot and so we might not be able to get up and walk to the next meeting in a different office which absolutely does something and and again reduces the threat response brings the brain back online the left right movement helps the left and the right hemispheres of the brain to reconnect and so if you can't get up and walk because maybe you're going straight into another meeting you might normally get up and move some chairs because there's less people in the next meeting or you might get up and walk to a different office in the building and that might not be possible because it might just be often things are booked in back to back which is not ideal but it happens but even just doing something as simple as moving the shoulders backwards and forwards sliding the hands up and down the upper thighs from sort of the knee up to the hip and sort of just allowing the body to be moving in those ways and and again a sort of third thing for me about bringing things back online which is similar but a little bit different is pressing the feet into the ground 
So if you press your feet into the ground really firmly and release, each time you do it, you bring a little bit more strength into the bottom half of the body. So the calves, the thighs, the buttocks, the hips, and eventually the belly. And that's sort of the waist down part of the body. If you bring it back up alive, you, um, you bring yourself out of certain sorts of nervous system states and you bring yourself back online. So the bottom half of the body is often a place that gets really floppy and disconnected. And so I think there's something about keeping that left and right movement going and also about kind of waking up the bottom half of the body. Mm. And hopefully you can do that without yeah. anybody noticing either. Absolutely. That's you it. Don't it? The, you don't want to be sitting yeah. there walking about and moving. Yeah, I think there's something about being able to have a conversation and saying to people in meetings, I want to make sure you're all still moving. You know, yeah. you're still breathing or you're still alive there or you're still, you know, so even if it is just a little bit, absolutely. And I think the feet pressing thing is something you can do and no one would know. You could do left foot, right foot. You could do both feet at the same time. Um, and I think, again, there's so many things with the eyes that can be done that can really aid in our in how we're feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's completely unnoticeable. We wouldn't necessarily have to be in a meeting with colleagues that we knew well and to discuss it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point, Jen, because one of the things I think is really, again, I'm back, this just, uh, you know, fascination beyond fascination, really. What is it about human interaction and this alien, I think it's absolutely crazily alien etiquette that we've decided is good manners or okay, that we sit, we sit as still as possible. Even, I've noticed that even if your nose runs, we get that awkward hanky. I know we're going through a pandemic and there's different noses. But I mean, in, in normal times, there's that whole seeking your tissue out, yeah. trying not to blow on. You know, we do bodily functions, but I think what probably, I, I personally want to bring into our business more honest conversations around, you know, we're going to need to understand we've got to move and it's okay. But I think, well, you know, you can move your chair out of the way and stand up. And, and straight away you're, you're more connected and I think if we could say I'm not sitting for all my meetings and we just get that out there and maybe just again I think the idea behind what we're doing Jen is to get people being a little bit less hung up about yeah. the human animal and moving a little bit yeah. instead of fixed and staring and yeah we're trying to not be sedentary all the time so moving around I mean they don't have to do, go into a ballet move but actually if somebody feels they need to stretch their neck I, I you know I think we need to get a bit more yeah. chill then what you would all get up and use the loo as well you know I mean that was an hour and a half networking that I've just done normally well normally there'd be tea I'd be able to eat some biscuits uh which you know I don't tend to go to a meeting unless there's tea and biscuits um <laughs> so I can't I can't you know normally I will sit and eat I am a you know my biscuits are sort of with me all Great. the time but yeah so I'm not going to eat um I'm not going to get up and go to the loo so I know I've got to make it an hour and a half without that um so all your basic needs yes everything I mean everything I mean yeah, yeah I'm a completely different person on the zoom meetings because actually in person I like to have a laugh and a joke um and you know you I, I tend to engage with people like you say if you're walking into another room I'll engage with people I, I'm com I'm completely different on zoom it's it's really weird normally I kind of take control and and I can easily kind of take control of a room but in zoom I sit there just like who's going to speak yeah, we, we, lower, we lower inhibition don't we yeah like 
you know, you use humour to say, am I safe? Please don't harm me. Mm -hmm. Are you welcoming? So we're doing all those like really primitive things. Yeah. And this takes it away. So you're literally just face to face to face, very threatening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my take, don't know what your thinking is, um, Jen. My take is I personally feel we've got to look with we will be looking at different ways of, of engaging and using video conferencing and paving a way really for seeing that freeing up this whole connection and, and, and helping people to understand, I think that um, just staring and using it in this very fixed way is, is not actually going to be any good for business. Hmm. You talked about executive function, I know, Jessica. I mean, if you yeah. want to be, if you want everyone to be switched off and just thinking, will I survive? in a kind of very, you know, it's a body thing going on here. Yeah. Um, why, you know, why wasn't I having many great ideas during that meeting? Well, I was trying to stay alive. Not much point in having great ideas, is there? Yeah. Trying to stay alive. I mean, I just wonder what your thought is, Jen, you know, looking at what we've been talking about and what we've been doing and what we can do. I think, um, I, I think something that actually is a positive, and I, I, I said this in, the net, in that meeting this morning, that, you know, for me starting my own business when I did, um has been beneficial in that everybody's on zoom and everybody's very open to zoom otherwise i think it would have been really quite challenging for me you know yeah. to have engaged with as many people as i have engaged with so and i think there's a positive thing in that you know all our normal communication channels were taken away and us humans were like no we still need to communicate whatever however that's going to be you know because ultimately we're social animals and we need we need that communication in some way and 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 you know and I do go away from you know communicating like this which is a bit more one-on-one -on -one with just the three of us I go away from that feeling oh I've I've I've, I've had a connection I, I do get a, a a positive response from it you know and and obviously it'd be nicer in person but this is enough for me to feel like I haven't just spent you know the entire day in my house on my own um so there's there's definitely positives to it but I think I think most people seem to think that we have evolved as, as quickly as technology and we haven't you know humans no. haven't really evolved very far really when you look at it um and and I think the trauma response and and all of the things that you're talking about Jessica are things that people do not understand uh as being natural responses yes. and I think when we have big responses we think we're broken mm. we don't actually think that it's our bodies clicking into a a protective mode you know yeah. that the body's going oh no I recognize what's happening here this is what's going to happen but we sort of go oh my god I'm getting all nervous and anxious and I don't know what it is and that freaks and, and that, that's really key within the kind of the the, the sort of the bio neurobiological thinking in the sort of therapy world is a woman called Deb Dana, you might know. She, she uses this term, story follows state. Mm -hmm. So everything, cognition is six seconds slower than everything else. So we're, we're, we're heavily reliant on cognition and we kind of idolize it, especially in the West as being the best bit of us, the yeah. bit that thinks. But actually it's very, very slow. It's, it's quite new evolution wise. Um, everything else is working at a much faster rate. Your, your, your neuroception, so your nervous system's 
ability to perceive what's going on inside and outside of you is so much faster than your perception, your cognitive ability to see what's going on inside and outside of you. So your body, your nervous system sees the world and that's what there's a sort of coined new newish term neuroception it sees the world it sees for example let's just say the screen and it perceives it as a threat because your eyes are staring at it it isn't cognition it doesn't know why it's a threat it doesn't know what it is it doesn't have context and meaning that lives in the sort of more central complex sort of limbic system and memory centers and all of that but so imagine if i'm staring and then my body goes, oh, I'm staring. There must be some kind of threat here. So I either do fight, flight or freeze. And all of this has happened very, very quickly. Six seconds later, cognition goes, what? Really? <laughs> I kind of imagine it like this kind of slow-mo. I can't remember the name of that, that cartoon dog that speaks really slowly. It's like, whoa, what's that? That's how I think of as cognition. Cognition is slow and it isn't very, it isn't actually very clever. And what cognition does is it looks down really slowly into the body, into this nervous system response. And let's just go with it was flight. We got all kind of anxious and a bit wanted to get away and wanted to get out of the room or wanted to get off the screen. So maybe we went to our emails. Um, and, and so the brain, then this cognitive part of the brain starts to make stories up. Story follows state. So cognition follows body state. So the heart rate's already going fast. You've already got a little dash of cortisol and adrenaline. You're already a bit anxious. And then the cognition goes, I wonder if I was pulling a funny face and somebody noticed does my hair look weird? Do, do you know what I mean? Or, oh my God, I was doodling. Does everybody think I'm not listening? I'm definitely listening. Oh no. Or yes. oh, they came up with a great idea. I haven't come up with any great ideas today. Yeah. So story makes up a, makes up a story out of your bodily state. And that is going to be happening every six seconds. <laughs> every six seconds, your brain is going to make stories up about your bodily state. The only way to interrupt this stuff, which is why I have ended up doing mindfulness movement and breath work, is through the body. You can't really change stuff through the thinking, not, not terribly well. You can change some things, but you can't change this stuff. This stuff happens here in our bodies first. So if you change the way you're moving or sitting or breathing, this is a much quicker hack to changing this stuff. The story's irrelevant. The story's nonsense. The story's also very personal. So your story might be, people don't think I'm listening because I'm doodling. My story might be, why is my hair always look so flat? You know? <laughs> it's just flat hair. Why yeah. is it flat hair? You know, it's like, and, and, and there's that thing, you know, again, in that research you're looking at around why is it that women might be experiencing more fatigue? I think there's lots of reasons. They only pointed out one. I think there's lots of reasons why women might be experiencing more fatigue. You know, gender is an interesting sort of, context around this stuff as well that's a whole nother thing isn't it but i think it's just being aware that that's how your brain works is useful like you say if we don't know that and this is why i like kind of putting this language into something really easily understandable because i've spent years reading and studying and doing all this this learning around the neuroscience of stress and distress and it's all very clever but it's um it took me years to understand it because i'm not a scientist but I've got to the point where now what I like to do is kind of translate the simplest parts of it into normal language, because we should all understand this. We all have bodies and brains and we all have story follow state stuff going on all the time. And I think if we all understood that, we would find life a lot easier. Zoom is just one part of life that we might find a lot easier if we understood this is how my brain functions. This is how my body functions. This is my basic chemistry. And this is how cognition works 
when I'm in one of these states. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's interesting that the brain, the more that I talk about this stuff and the more I learn about it, the more that the brain seems to uh, be slightly getting relegated in terms of its function within my body, that it's more like the boiler room. It's the, I don't know, it's it's that room where the IT have where all the servers and everything are kept and that actually yeah. it's not, it's not making the decisions. It's just, it's receiving information and then, then doing stuff. That's exactly what the brain does. The brain receives information and then it does stuff. And then it does and stuff. It, and it is often doing the wrong things that are not useful. Yeah. Because yeah. just because I'm staring at my screen does not mean that I'm staring and looking for a predator. But because I haven't evolved much, my brain then doesn't just make up a story. It dumps me full of all sorts of chemicals that make me feel shaky, that make me feel sick, that make me feel all sorts of things because that's what they're built to do. They're built to make me want to run or want to freeze or they're built to make my heart go fast they're yeah. built to help me out in a threat situation so my brain's doing all this crazy stuff that's not useful and the best way to interrupt it is not to think oh there's something wrong with me why am I so anxious when I'm on zoom but to think oh maybe I need to sit differently when I'm on zoom let me turn myself view off let me think about how I'm breathing let me think about what's going on with my eyes or my body or whatever it might be mm -hmm. and let me perhaps start to develop other skills away from zoom that might give me a bit more insight into this stuff when it happens yeah, it, it's kind of personal rules of engagement in a way, isn't it? This, mm. um, and I think picking up on your point, Jen, I, I absolutely, I love video conferencing. I love it. Um, it means sustainably, in a in a sustainable way, I can I can be crossing the globe. I've loved that. I've loved the ease. You know, I mean, in all honesty, you can fall out the shower. You don't have to commute anywhere and you're there. You can mm. kind of interrupt it knowing somebody is an hour down the road, as I've had to do with you guys, where you kind of go, I'm sorry, didn't come up. Yeah. So for me, there's so many good things. I think learning to use it in a safe way, in a way that works for us, that's kind of going to be the icing on the cake um, so that we can all find, maybe it's, um, maybe some people will just never like it and that's the way it works, isn't it? But for those of those of us that want to find the best way for it to work, the most comfortable way, the safest way, and also the permissions around camera on, camera off, self view, which Jessica kind of encouraged me, well, showed me where it was for a start, um, because I think the environment is interesting. I've been very aware with clients, particularly not meetings, but clients, which is a different energy. If if something happens in my environment and they're not present that disconnect from my environment can be quite stressful. I'm aware of something, they're not here, my face and body language may show it. What do they pick up on? So I think there's all sorts of interesting nuances that I think mm. is prime for people to enjoy learning about. I mean, this is another brilliant learning opportunity, isn't it? Mm. So Jen, completely with you, it's so useful. We found a way to connect with Jessica's already brought up. But we can learn so much. It's another great opportunity, isn't it? To kind yeah. of go, what can we do that's even better? And make it a part of life in a way that it fits. I think, I don't know what you think, you guys. Um, I also think it can help us look at face-to-face -face meetings um, and about some of the rules that have become a little bit, they, they were a little bit silly anyway, that we had sort of etiquette that was unnatural. I mean, even, you know, even down to the massive apologies for interrupting to need a bodily function 
it feels as if we've said even in face to face it's sort of like rules that we have to stick to and if you don't then somehow you're wrong or bad so i think maybe it just it, it opens the door for more conversations about how we meet wherever we meet and maybe yeah. about being more human about it yeah um but you know hugely as i expected a, a fabulously important conversation mm. any any i don't know any thoughts you know as maybe we wind down this I think, you know, one of the big things that comes up for me um, is thinking about comfort. Yeah. Because I think, you know, to comfort, comfortable, you know, it's sort of, if I don't feel a sense of comfort and I'm, I don't have my biscuits, my tea, my ability to laugh with people, um, you know, I surround myself with the things I need. I've got an extra cardigan. I've got a really nice soft blanket. I have my Vaseline, my pen, my smoothie, my water. My, you know, I've got photos <laughs> and things around me and pictures and tactile things that I can touch and feel um, to kind of keep me here in this space um, and not kind of getting lost. So it's sort of, I think there's something of then, yes, how would that translate to in person? Because I don't think we think very much about comfort in in face-to-face -face land um but in a sense this idea that people are getting fatigued by zoom it's awful and it's rubbish but i think it is an opportunity to think our body does exist it comes with us to zoom sessions it comes with us out into the world and, and this idea that we can kind of control it from from the top down is is a fallacy it isn't real and needs to be kind of interrupted we need to bring our bodies with us not dragging kicking and screaming and frightened but we need to bring them with us into work meetings face to face or on zoom and we need to bring them with us with a bit of comfort and a bit of kindness yeah. i think yeah i, I think I what um I think what matters is whether or not you're on the Zoom by choice, because from my point of view now, most of the time, I, you know, I've arranged the meeting or I've agreed the meeting and, you know, and it's something that I'm I'm fully invested in, whereas um, people that are actually employed and are having to have team meetings and you know are having to come in so so uh, a lady that i know that walks one of the dogs around the corner and um, you know we get chatting and she says one of the things that she really doesn't like is that she feels that her background is a bit old-fashioned and there's younger people on the call and she feels like they're judging her mm -hmm. you know they're in her space mm -hmm. um and you know and, and she really struggles with that and I was like yeah but it's your home it's your home you you know it, it don't don't feel bad about about what your home is um but I, I totally understand what she's saying um and you know lots of people yeah. have the backgrounds as well don't they that you know suddenly you're like god where are you you could be anywhere um yeah. you've no yeah, idea lot, yeah I think I think the background stuff is really vital and, and needs a lot of thought being given to it because actually I wouldn't invite people I don't know into my home. Yeah. You know, so it's something that feels really exposing, isn't there? And, yeah. and you know, there's there's so many things that can kind of go wrong and happen. And so in a sense, Zoom is creating a degree of intimacy, or all video conferencing is creating a sort of degree of intimacy where we're seeing a sort of loss of intimacy in many ways. There's also a degree of intimacy in video conferencing that that we're not used to. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not used to having everybody see in my home. Mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not used to sort of, so it's like our bodies and our intimate vulnerable selves are really quite wide open here. And we're often feeling, I think, quite anxious because of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, it just shows you it's huge. 
isn't it? Yeah. It really is huge. And I think the first thing is kind of whatever somebody's feeling, they feel. And I, I also realise, and I have done, how lucky I am to have designated spaces for they'll still get interruptions and sounds I can't control, but you know, you can't control sound really wherever you are. Um, but I think you think it reflects upon you maybe. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I think the word intimacy is really key. That's a thought. Mm. Um, and, and about vulnerability and not inviting people in. So what do we think? There's an awful lot. I think from the perspective, Jen, of, of businesses, that for me is it. Um, business has got to invest in looking at this. They need uh, to be, yeah, they need they to be engaging with their employees uh, and, regularly. And, and learning and understanding. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically, you know, asking um, how people are finding it and, you know, and, and, and how it's actually, how it's working for them. Because, I mean, I know people that have been told that, don't worry, we're going to keep everyone working from home. And actually, what would the that's not great for everybody you know people have kids or they don't have a a, a a workspace or they just want to come into the office and get out of the house you know sometimes the house isn't a safe space so you know that's that that control is taken away that that choice is taken away from them and I think employers need to be asking about experiences and how people are feeling about it but then you're also actually asking for employers to care which not all of them do, let's be honest, you know. But I think that's where you go in on productivity. Yeah. I think that's where so many companies, it's not even about employers caring, isn't it? So many big companies and smaller companies have started thinking about their staff well-being because yeah. they know that when their staff feels well, their staff are more productive. They yeah. take less six yeah. days. They're more likely to stay in the job and not look for work elsewhere. Yeah. And they're more engaged. They feel valued. They feel like, oh, we've got that free mindfulness class and we've you yeah. know, got that wonderful training that really helped me do it. X, Y, and Z, and all of these things will leave, and we know research studies show again and again and again, if you look after yourself, staff, that they do more, yeah. they work yeah. harder, and they're just more well and, and comfortable and engaged. Yeah. Something that's interesting, though, is that in, a group of staff are not stupid. If the if the, the senior management don't truly believe it, mm. they know. And you, yeah. you get this cynicism because I, you know, I've been in that where, you know, you're bringing in the mental health um, sort of champions and, you know, we want to care about you. We want to care about you. But when you know that really they don't, it doesn't really work because you get people going, I know why they're doing it. They just want me to be better at my job. They don't actually care about me as a human being. And somehow it has a reverse effect. For sure. And I think, I mean, that's a much more kind of complex issue as well, isn't it? Because I think that's where it's like kind of compassion and empathy is a really difficult thing for people in positions of leadership and power to feel like that it's okay for them to open themselves up to. Yeah. So, sort of, you know, there's lots of people, you know, sort of Brene Brown and people like this who talk about kind of leadership from a position of empathy. But that means leadership from a position of vulnerability. It means that I, if, I, if I'm a leader, if I'm a CEO, I too have to be someone who has... Um, impact on my mental and emotional well-being from work I too have to be a real human being and a lot of people have kind of closed themselves off to that yeah. in fact that's probably how they got to where they are mm. and that's not the only way to get there but that is one way to get to that position of, of sort of, of of power and, and, and leadership um, so I think there's you know there are schools of thought about leadership being done differently but I think that's huge but I think even just giving people that information and look 
you know, we can't change, you know, these people up at the top and go, look, we want you to feel connected and engaged because actually developing empathy can be quite a, a long process for people who have maybe really disengaged from it for a yeah. long time. But letting them know that your disengagement on this matter is going to have an impact on, you know, how seriously your staff take these things. It would be better to be completely honest as a CEO and say, do you know what? all this stuff around staff well-being mental health everything else it's just not my area of specialism i don't know how to engage around this yeah. I'm, I'm an it specialist or whatever it is i'm a finance person this is what i do and this is what i do well and so that's what i'm going to do but because i'm no good at it because i don't know how to engage with my company in this way i'm going to hand it over to these people and they're gonna i'm hoping know how to look after you in the way that i can't it's a little bit like the kind of parent who might say you know i don't know i, I you know I've got a lot of sort of dyspraxic tendencies. I couldn't teach my daughter how to tie her shoes. I let someone else do that. Right. <laughs> it's as yeah. simple as that. It's like, I'm no good at this and that's okay. And I, and so I think even that would be a way forward, wouldn't it, in those companies? Yeah. On responsibility that actually this just isn't my forte. You know, mental, mental well-being and emotional health and things like that. Someone being able to say, even if it's in an email, this isn't my forte, you know, but yeah, exactly. I'm going to hand you guys over to some people who I'm hoping it is their forte. And I'm going to take their guidance and advice too. Yes, I mean the thing is, I think there's a band. I well, my observation is there's a bandwagon that gets jumped upon, and you kind of, in the nicest way, you see the same offerings from everywhere, and they're all very samey. And to me, that's where I wouldn't feel very cared for. It would yeah. feel like it's very easy to get it, um, and somebody's paid for a very standard thing to be given to me. Um, and that doesn't take anything, that doesn't take any thought from wherever that might be. I think something that is, something that helps me understand how I'm feeling, how I'm ticking, and it's quite individually tailored to me, so not a, um, a one-size-fits-all. Mm. And, and this is what's great about Jen and I, Jessica, that we can bounce off the non-corporate experience only through clients with the corporate experience. So Jen will come in, um, which is, is brilliant. Um, my thinking around this is if somebody gives me something and it feels more personal and thoughtful for what I personally experience, not what somebody else is, and I'm given tools and things and I'm allowed I think being allowed so if you allow me to choose if I sit stand move do whatever within reason um there's a flexibility around my work clothing I think that's key for me too um and and just camera on camera off a few things that somebody's come in and said these could help you here's your pick and mix Take what you will, practice, experience, you know, rehearse, see what works for you. And I'm allowed that freedom as a, as a human being and I'm trusted. I think that yeah. is, show me trust and respect. I'm, I'm going to feel better. I think I think that's absolutely key and I think that's like I, I said I heard this word biopsychosocial and I thought I love that because otherwise what happens with this kind of stuff in, especially in big corporations and companies is that it's like if you're anxious it's your responsibility you need to do more mindfulness or yoga or whatever it is and you need to fix yourself and that's just 
biopsycho, isn't it? Like you're a body and a mind, but you're not a body and a mind that exists in a social system. And at that moment, if you're an employee, your social system is your workplace and your social system is your workplace, even if you're on video conferencing in your own bedroom, that's your social system. And I think that's the kind of, there has to be responsibility. And in a sense, there has to be kind of work done in all of those places. Mm -hmm. So if we understand the mind and we understand the body and we've got tools and techniques and things that we can do to, to assist those parts of ourselves, but if we're also giving guidance to the people who are managers and team leaders and CEOs and, and, and leaders in business, those people can also do exactly what you've just said and come in and go, these are some new guidelines for Zoom. We're emailing them out to everybody. So next time you start running meetings, everybody's doing this new Zoom training and everybody's going to be doing these new things with their teams. That's the social bit, isn't it? That's the bit where outside of you, somebody has taken some responsibility and gone, it's not on you that you feel anxious. It's on all of us it's on us as a company yeah you as an individual can take your personal responsibility to do your bit of breathing or change what's going on with your eyes that's your little bit isn't it but if you haven't got managers that are saying yeah we've done this training too and it's now okay if you want to turn your video off sometimes some of the time all of the time turn it off when you first go into a room you know it's sort of, if you want to stand if you want to if you want to move we're, we're going to try and make these things okay and that's the kind of social bit isn't it there has to be responsibility taken outside of your mind and your body as well. Can't be all put on you. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I think that's really valid. It's it's no, I, I think a lot of the anxiety is though that even if you know, even if you go through, you know, you go through that training and and you know, and everyone everyone understands it still, there will still be that person that is like, oh, Jen doesn't have you noticed Jen doesn't put a screen on because she's obviously not comfortable with you know, there's always that person, yeah. and you've got to somehow, you know, you've somehow got to get past that because uh, so a, a friend of mine she has her you know their weekly sort of um team meeting calls and her manager never puts her screen on she never has her video on so you can never see her and they're all weirded out by that they're, mm. they're like what the hell i think you've got to give it some narrative you've got to give it something yes yeah. it needs fleshing out doesn't it yes yeah um, yeah you know we need to we need to kind of i think if you give it if you give it if you if you explain and you have something for people to hang all this off, then they're going to have more understanding because it literally is assumptions. Mm. That you know. Um, yes. Yeah. If I if I've been staying, at, I mean, I had this and I really respected it. Um, we had a meeting with someone early days of the pandemic, and they said, "I hope you don't mind. I've had quite a lot of Zooms. They work for a global corporation, and." I felt that was what was really important about this. It wasn't somebody with their, you know, their own small business. And they said, I've been Zooming, video conferencing all day. And I'm listening, but I just want you to know that I just need to look a little bit away from my screen. I just need to look around the room, but I'm, I'm listening and I'm here. And all that, that was all it took. If he had just sat there like this, we wouldn't, we'd have been like, what the hell? That was a yeah. very strange call, wasn't it? So I think... Again, there isn't, I think this is, in a way, this is an evolution. Mm. We're yeah, way I... behind it all. We're going to have, and also some people love a gossip. Um, yeah. Gossip is an early form of communication. So as that certain book, Jen, that we're, we're reading. Yes. So it's going to be there, isn't it? We can't control everyone. Um, hopefully, if other people are, it's tribal belonging. So if I start standing... Uh, you know which I'm doing now 
um, in a meeting and just sort of doing this and adjusting trousers and what have you. And other people are doing that because we've been told we can, we are actually able to do all these different things. Hopefully there'll be a, a sense that we do fit in, but it won't be everyone. Some people will absolutely put the screens on, do it old school as they've always done. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's the freedom yeah. and judgment. We can't escape it, can we? No. Screen, no screen. No, but it's interesting, actually, just, just saying that. It reminded me yesterday, um, I was out in the garden in the afternoon. Um, I decided to finish early and went out into the garden to start uh, clearing the patio. And um, and my husband called on a, on a video chat because he's away at the moment. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I can hear you, but uh, I'm just going to put you down there. So he actually could just see blue sky. He couldn't see me. <laughs> I was just like, I'm doing stuff. So, you know, let's, yeah, let's have that chat. But, uh, and I have no problem with that because he fully understands, you know, or I'll be walking around the house or making my dinner and, and he knows what I'm doing. So he doesn't need me to permanently be looking at my screen and, you know, there, it doesn't really matter. I, I'd actually, that's reminded me, I'd be really interested to see how, what are the problems if you went globally around people, what are the problems? Because I'm thinking I've never had a conversation with this particular person. And if they listen to the podcast, they might know who they are, but they're in Italy. And what I love about this guy, first time we ever met him, we met him through his phone, yeah. walking around in trees, sitting down. He didn't overly explain or apologize. He was just, I'm out. I'm out. To you in fresh air. And it was kind of like a, it was just a like, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. And I think there is a, you know, I think that is another thing. It feels like releasing the hangups mm. um, and getting permission to let go a little bit. Yeah. Uh, maybe that is part of it. Constraint. I don't know. I don't know where this, Jessica, you may have all sorts of interesting thoughts on this. You know, this idea that you, I don't know, you are working, therefore it's painful seems to come to mind. You know, <laughs> yeah got to be slightly in pain and be doing things against your uh, comfort mm. working yeah. in comfort and like you know phew, I don't know that that feels like that's long gone and we've got to we've got yeah. to kind of re review that now yeah um I don't know Jessica what are your thinking on that no pain I think, I think yeah, it's interesting isn't it? I, think I think that's a deeply sort of historical kind of uh, context to that isn't there of kind of thinking uh, no pain no gain do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking of things like stiff upper lips yeah. and um, all these kinds of sort of quite uh, Western historical ways that that anything that looked comfortable, that looked connected, that looked free, that had movement, that had sound, that that, that took up a bit more space was um, was brash, was wrong, was was even you know. This is this is we I know we've talked about that kind of thing of this is a lot of the roots around racism and things like that is kind of this idea that being controlled um, and rigid um, is is good yeah you know sort of that yeah and that suffering um, is is a way in which we sort of show our devotion and our commitment and our worth. You know, so I think there's a lot of kind of socio-historical, political, religious, even kind of things in there, and and whether we align ourselves with that history or that culture or that religion, it doesn't really matter. That's one of the things about the human brain. The data is stored in there. 
you know and I think for me having moved away from the UK only sort of five months ago I'm only now for the first time in my life realizing how British I am (laughs) how much data is stored in my brain in quite an inaccessible but continuously um, it, it sort of impacting my behaviour. Oh, this wow. in there. I'm so English. I'm, I'm such a Londoner. I'm so British. I'm so, and I didn't think I was because actually I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, 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 I've got, I come from a really mixed heritage and I grew up in London and I always really didn't identify with the rest of the island. And here I am now in another country, in another culture, seeing quite clearly the mirror of a different culture is helping me to see how much my culture has shaped me. Yeah. And who I am and how I function and things like that. So in Austria, where I am, you go to a social situation. Not once in all the years I've been coming here, have I ever been asked what I do for a living? Really? Never. It's, what do they I, ask? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the thing that English people always ask me. So then what do you do? And also then, like, where's your value? Where's How does anybody measure each other's... And I know none of us will want to admit it, but in, if we are from the UK, and I think the States is probably very, very similar, um, you are measured status-wise. You know, if I say, oh, hello, I'm a psychotherapist. Oh, that's a profession. Oh, You've been yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, yeah. You've earned X amount of money, and they've put me into all kinds of brackets based on that. Um so yeah so what happens if I don't have that and I think it's sort of it's liberating it's frightening it's it's not an easy place to be it sort of reminds me you know it's the guy sitting there in nature not with the the sort of ideal background in his office at home it's something about feeling a lot more comfortable with who we are but I think this idea that work and suffering belong together I I do think that might be um, yeah yeah I think that's something quite western I don't think that's just British but I think it's 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 the root of Christianity, isn't it? You know, he's actually, I, I would say it's the, its roots live in Roman, a Roman hierarchy, don't they? In the triangular Roman hierarchy, which we adopted however many hundreds of years ago, and we've never put it down. So the whole of the, way of the world is built on the Roman hierarchy, um, and the people at the bottom should be suffering, and that's how they prove their commitment to Caesar. You know, so so we're all down in the mud, sort of suffering, <laughs> proving our commitment to, to to Caesar. I think that that psychology is just deeply embedded in us, and I think there are other cultures and there are other ways of doing things yeah Um, and I think that knowledge and sharing knowledge like sharing knowledge around how workplaces work or sharing knowledge around how the human body works it's it's for me a way out of that a way out of those kinds of really deeply embedded stored data you know if I'm not suffering am I of any value am I even working if I'm not suffering Oh, exactly. It's that, yeah. you know, yes, exactly. It's that thing we would, uh, there'd be so many times that I've been in a meeting and, you know, we're all having a laugh and a joke and someone else would come in and, and say, well, you know, you're obviously not doing any work because you're yeah. having too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's standard. I really want to know what Austrians say there. Is there not a standard <laughs> greeting? Yeah. Really? Yeah just got to dive in and have conversations about all sorts of things and they might still be quite light-hearted I'm I'm not saying that culturally they're particularly intimate because I don't think they are either there are lots of crossovers and similarities but no they don't ask it's not relevant work is not meant to be something that you really suffer and I mean everybody gets paid 13 months of the year here even when you only work 12 you know they've got 
with two months holiday and uh, 12 months maternity leave and it's a different place with a wow. different culture yeah. and different attitudes towards work and the way that people are taken care of yeah that's amazing I'm having that that moment of incredulity when people say to me that they don't have a tv and they don't sit and watch the telly in the evening I'm like what do you do with your time <laughs> just like can't get my mind around that I'm a big tv watcher you know <laughs> It, it, it yeah it, it just it just makes you think it makes you think um so yeah and I don't know about you Jessica the number of clients who've somehow been conditioned that work has to hurt yeah that is a common narrative that people have work is well, painful everything should hurt. exercise should hurt yes. do you know what I mean and being yeah. physically active should hurt being the right weight whatever that is should hurt beauty um, that's important that should hurt um it's like everything should hurt. interestingly the things that should hurt and involve some suffering in our culture we think shouldn't like relationships relationships are not always fun they're often very hard work <laughs> and, and we don't always like the people we're with for chunks of time and and they can be very painful and and that is often I think sort of especially sort of younger generations again with, in my client work I see people going oh I got really upset and this person's not meeting my needs so I've left and, and so it's like we've got no capacity to stay with pain when it's sort of emotional, interestingly, but 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 and has and serves a purpose and maybe has some learning and some meaning in it. But but when it's kind of suffering, like I'm forcing myself to stare at a Zoom screen for eight hours every day and still answer all my emails and still you know do all this stuff, or I'm I'm forcing myself to go to the gym, which I hate doing and do crunches and be in pain. Then we're okay. We're okay with that kind of suffering. It's quite it's quite interesting which suffering we choose and have sort of defined as good. Yes. And then this other suffering yeah. that we've decided is is not good. Yeah. I, I think know. one of the biggest things um, out of all of, uh, you know, of this last 12 months is that people have been open to, not everybody, because not everybody had the time off work or not everybody has had a good time. But, you know, a, a lot of people have had their eyes open to choice, you yeah. know, um, that uh I don't want to commute anymore you know I mean I used to I used to have a sort of four and a half hour commute every single day <laughs> which was nuts you know I would I would I'd leave my house at 6 30 and get home at 7 30 in the evening and you know if someone's going to say to me no Jen you're fine you're going to stay working from home great great you know that's great but then you have other people that want to get back to work they're fine with the commute it doesn't matter and I think I think what's going to be challenging in this in terms of this sort of return to work especially is that some people are going to have that choice taken away mm. you know, and, and you're going to have to go back to doing something that you don't want to do anymore you know it's like and, and how damaging was Boris's thing that he said if you know we've all had enough time off now I mean Jesus um, yeah not great no, and that brings the hybrid, the hybrid future. Yes, yeah. Thoughts on that and fear, and I know you've got some great stuff. So I'm just going to throw that over. Beautifully introduced by Jen. So yeah, please take us, take us through the you see the hybrid and, and the issues around returning to an office for those that want to, have to, or whatever. Um, I know that's really interesting. What your thoughts are? Oh. oh. That was, an intro, that was an intro from Willow. Um, yeah, so Jessica, um, your thoughts around office and the fears around that, perhaps it would be really interesting for you to share because I know um, 
you've got some interesting taste. Yeah. We, we talked about that a bit, a bit just recently. Yeah, so I think, I think there's lots of things. I was thinking about it just earlier on today and I was thinking, so one of the things that we talked about was, I think, again, going back to that kind of, because that's my, that's my thing, and kind of going back to the, the really sort of biological stuff, which again, I think, because we kind of prioritise or we have this hierarchy where we think cognition is, is who we are and is so, so much a big sort of influencer when in fact it's not. I think that the sort of biology around the pandemic and in some of that's been encouraged, you know, quite, quite obviously with the use of sort of social psychology and things as well, is around the fear of contagion. And I think, you know, fear of contagion is huge for human beings and it's meant to be. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an inbuilt thing to keep us alive. You know, we move back when people cough and sneeze or even just look a bit unwell. If someone looks a bit sweaty and a bit clammy and hot and, and we're like, oh, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite immediate. And we do try to override it. And I think it's but, but our fear around contagion, if someone has a really strong smell, you know, we know it's like, it's such a difficult thing to talk about, but you know, it's sort of, I used to work in homelessness and it was something that often came up. How do we talk about, you know, people moving into their own homes and, and, and dealing with sort of personal hygiene issues and things like that. And it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing for us to, to think about and talk about. And yet I think we have this really inbuilt biological fear of illness. Why wouldn't we? We yeah. want to stay alive. But I think that, that fear around contagion has been really kind of ramped up by, you know, whatever, by governments, by, by media, by one another, by social media, by all sorts of things. And I think we've got to a point now where when we do go and do things face to face, not everyone, but I would say most people have higher levels of threat. So again, thinking of that front brain not working so well, back brain's kind of lighting up. So fight, flight and freeze are coming into play. And it is where, interestingly, it is also where very black and white polarized views live. So black and white polarized views um, happen when we're in a fear state because our reflective, creative, lovely thinking that we are so capable of as humans has has started to diminish and we only have a small amount of a higher executive functioning available to us so we have a lot of fear thinking a lot of black and white thinking a lot of polarized thinking we've decided what's right and what's wrong with all these things that feel really uh, big at the moment around face-to-face -face work or not going on tubes going on trains should we be driving you know wearing masks not wearing masks uh, you know vaccines not vaccines all sorts of different things um, and and this this idea of sort of polarization of view i think definitely comes in when we're in a fear state when we come out of fear state we tend to be able to have much more kind of open dialogues oh that's interesting you feel differently to me mm. tell me about that we're much more capable of doing that as humans when we're not scared but we've just spent 12 months being scared you know, everybody at some point in the last 12 months, probably a lot of the last 12 months has, whether they fully engaged or noticed it even, has felt fear. They might have felt it as anger and irritation. They might have felt it as anxiety and stress. They might have just felt, you know, for me, it's, I think we talked about, I, I dropped something and I'd swear at my keys and I think that's weird. I'm swearing at things I've dropped. That's like <laughs> an angry, irritable state, isn't it? It's just like everything's yeah. annoying. Yeah. okay that's me going into a bit of a fight state we think fight we think you know get having an actual punch up but fight can look like annoyance and irritation and and the flight state like I said could look like going from a zoom session into our emails we're fl we're fleeing from contact we're fleeing from dialogue so flight doesn't necessarily look like running out of the room and bolting it can look like a lot of things you know when it's in its more subtle states not, not it's so extreme states but I think returning to face-to-face -to -face work 
is is complex in all the reasons why you've sort of said as well about some people don't want to, some people do. I think one of the big areas for me that's really interesting is around disability. So a lot of people with disability, I know someone in particular who said um, they've been asking for years, could they have a laptop that had all the work systems on it? And they were told that wasn't possible. But when the lockdown came, 200 employees had laptops with all the work systems on. Uh, and and so, hmm, that says a lot about accessibility and how much we really value, you know, disabled people in our cultures. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot and there's a lot around childcare and, and all sorts of things that go on around what's come up in the last 12 months. But I think something about going back to face to face work, it, it draws attention to all of those things that we probably haven't looked at much before around disability, gender, childcare. People who have, as you said, don't have workspace, don't have offices, they might be in a tiny little bedsit sharing with other human beings and getting back to work feels like something they're longing for, for their sanity. So there's so much stuff that we haven't kind of wanted to think about what this really means. But I think that sitting in a room with another human being right now will feel scary for most people because we have a fear of contagion. But I also think that not having been in a room with another human being for so long will also mean that when we do, we're likely to feel a lot more vulnerable. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people are talking about, I think the term, I saw it on Twitter and I always like it when I see it. Someone said, I've forgotten how to do human. How will I go back to the office? I don't know how to... <laughs> You know that sort of moment where you're, you said like you're walking from one meeting to the next and you're having a cup of tea in the, in the staff kitchen and you're just having a chat and a laugh. And I think a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do that anymore. Yeah. I don't even have a chat and a laugh. People are terrified. What do I work? What did I used to wear? Do I want, oh my God, do I have to wear that again? It's also yes. uncomfortable. And we wear a lot of very restrictive clothes as well for work. Yeah. You know, trousers without elasticated. Oh, I was going to say, how do I go back to trousers without elasticated? <laughs> That's, that's the gap in the market, you know, office wear with elasticated waist that looks good. Sure. That's yeah. what we're all going to wear. Yeah, yeah. wear. <laughs> but I think without, you know, everybody's going to be dealing with these sort of fears around, have I lost my ability to be social in the way that I used to be? If I have, can I get it back? Or is there something, some new way of dressing, of, of engaging, of being in the world with other human beings? I think the kind of contagion fear, which is very biological, I think that the, the big thing for me is about acknowledging that. So, yeah. so not doing it alone. Again, it's the not doing it alone stuff, but companies and people putting things out, putting statements out and saying, coming back to work is going to feel scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we can't fix that. We can't necessarily take that fear away, but we can do this, 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 and this. We can put these guidelines out. We can, do you know to me? I think I, I said to Jane last time we spoke, I was watching a film a few weeks ago and there was a moment where three or four people sat down on like a sort of plastic waiting room chairs right next to each other and for a briefest second I thought oh my god they're not wearing masks <laughs> and then I thought well, you know, this is a 90s film so that's okay you know but just for a brief second yeah. that's where my mind went and that's that's that kind of autopilot I've stored data that says masks make you safe whether that's yeah. even true is irrelevant my brain has believed it yeah. even if my conscious brain goes well I don't really know there's lots of different data and I'm not a scientist <laughs> you know it doesn't matter my this part this the, our, our memory center stores everything yeah. and our threat center uses it to make decisions which is why people can never say they don't have unconscious bias of course we have unconscious bias we've stored it in our in our memory centers and it impacts the way we behave yeah. but one unconscious bias is going to be I'm not safe when I'm in a room with other human beings breathing the same air and, and that's so devastating isn't it because the very thing that we need most social animals is contact and connection yeah. 
Yeah. And, and we've spent 12 months being told contact and connection could kill you or someone you love. Yeah. That's, that's fundamentally what we've been told. And so there's this sort of, now that I think there's this like miswiring, isn't there? Contact and connection, well, we all reach out for that. We're social animals. We're, enough research was done, horrible research, but still it was done that shows social animals will reach out for contact and comfort before food. A, a, a little baby chimpanzee will starve to death. It would prefer to have a cuddle with a pretend cuddly mummy chimpanzee. How sad is that, you know? Yeah. But, but it will choose that over a bottle of milk on, on a bit of wire every time and it will starve. And we know that contact is more important than, than food in our hierarchy of need, which is kind of mad. But if that's true, what's happened over the last 12 months is that we've been told and we've stored this data inside of us that the very thing that keeps us alive is also something that could kill us. And I think that that it's profound, it's massive and not kind of acknowledging it and not putting statements out and not saying we're all scared and we're gonna have to somehow bumble forward together and be scared together and do whatever we can in the workplace and not in the workplace. And I love that idea, Jen, of kind of reaching out and saying, how do you feel about returning to work? Do you want mm. to, do you not want to? Do you want to, do you want to do half the week at home and only come in for meetings or, what yeah. do you want to do? And, and we can't promise employees that they'll get everything they want. But I think just starting with a dialogue would at least give people an opportunity and just name it. Yeah. We are scared and that's normal and okay. Yeah. I think that's the big thing for me. We're all scared. That's normal and okay. We're going to have to somehow come back to seeing each other in the real world, at least some of the time. How can we do that? How can we at least, you yeah. know, kind of move up and go, hey, I'm really scared. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and what have our experiences been as well? You know, just because my experience has been that, thank God, no one has been, you know, unwell in my family. We haven't been touched by it. That's not the same for everybody. You know, so someone, uh, one of the guys I used to go to college with who I'm sort of, you know, still hear about through other friends, he lost his dad, you yeah. know. Um, and so people's experiences of this is all very different like I haven't hugged my parents now for over a year you know and that's that's weird it's and it's yeah. difficult and I think it's that thing of um you know well I'm all right so you know then everyone else must be all right it's that it's that allowing other people who may have had a bad experience through it and just being more empathetic and understanding what other people have have been through but we're very strange like that though. It's like when you've lost someone and someone says to you, oh, were you close? You think, well, I mean, that's quite a loaded question, isn't it? Because no, you know, say I've lost someone close as in, in my family. You think, well, if I wasn't close to them then I'm probably having some difficult feelings around that. And if I was close to them, then yes, I'm probably, you know feeling some difficult feelings because I've lost someone that I was close to. We, we have this very strange, strange way of thinking about things as well that if if we haven't experienced it as well we're not going to feel any empathy around it so you know you'll, you'll have people coming back into the office who are going to be really excited to be there and probably a bit over the top and then you're going to have other people who are going to be like I'm really scared yeah you know and and that peer pressure of oh come on it'll be fine let's all have a hug <laughs> just you know, you're going to be that poor person standing there going, oh, my God, I don't want to touch you. Please don't touch me. But it'll happen because peer pressure is real and and that'll happen. You know, that's this. So in some ways, you know, it's like, I don't know, I've, I've 
I've never managed large quantities of people or anything like that. I've supervised large sort of groups of people, but I've never managed large groups of people. And so I wonder if, you know, and I don't know if this is something that any companies would consider, but that idea of kind of telling your story, I wonder if it's like, you know, would it be as simple as kind of opening up a, a page on the website of a company and saying, would you, would people like to, even if it's anonymously, share their stories yeah. and we can all read each other's stories before we even consider going back into the office. Is this a way that we can acknowledge those things? And also, is there a way that we can talk about some of us will want to, like you said, grab hold and have a hug and some of us won't. And could we name that beforehand? You know, it's sort of, um, I've always been a really big fan of um, trauma sensitive yoga. And I think that all yoga should be trauma sensitive because a lot of yoga poses are really triggering for a lot of people. And I've been to classes sometimes, most classes don't attend to it at all. Everybody's touched without being asked. Yeah. Everybody's told to do poses that might be very triggering. And, but if you are asked, most people go, no, it's absolutely fine. I don't mind being touched. Even if they really do, because who feels comfortable, like you say, being the person going, I don't want to have a hug. Nobody no. wants to be that person. No. And so I, I went to a class years ago where this person just had a little card it was small like a little business card at the front of the map and if you didn't like being touched just put the purple place up that was it you know and if you didn't want to do a particular pose they showed you sort of three or four poses that you could do instead so you might do mountain pose or you might do child's pose or you might just sit or do whatever you want yeah but it was sort of like then there was no dialogue needed do you know what I mean it was sort yeah. of I don't know if there's ways around that where it's like people could kind of in advance kind of do a little checkbox. No hugs for me, thanks. Yes. And I think what's interesting about that, I mean, that idea of kind of physical contact, again, it's like thinking around disability and stuff. It's like, I've been in physical pain sometimes, but I haven't always talked about it because, you know, it's just part of my life. Someone will give, grab me and hug me. And I'm like, I'm in so much pain receiving this hug. But, and, yeah. but there's something, and then I think about, again, sort of like people who have autism and Asperger's and all sorts of things like that, where physical contact can just be really uncomfortable. And again, due to a desire to fit in, people will kind of go along with it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's come up a lot is the idea that disabled people have been saying all through lockdown, welcome to our normal life, guys. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is what this is yeah. how we've been living all our life. We haven't been leaving the house. We haven't been able to get on a bus. We haven't been able to go shopping. We haven't been able to see people. We've been relying on Zoom, you know? Um, so for a lot of people, it's sort of welcome to our normal life. Um, how difficult is it to tell someone we don't want to be touched, for example? Oh, I, wow. I think oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's sort of, I think it could be really polarizing or it could be really connecting. And I think if the company wanted the experience of returning to work to be done well and be really connecting, I would definitely suggest have people have an open dialogue somewhere on their website if they wanted to, um, anonymously if they wanted it to be so, not if they didn't, you know, to have that choice to say, this is what's happened to me. It's been great. It's been an opportunity. It's been really tough. It's been both. I've lost someone. I haven't lost anyone. Do, do you know what I mean? It's like, like you say, everybody's experiences have been so different. And I think, you know, that fear of, of, of contagion at the root of that, I mean, you mentioned losing someone is our fear of death. And again, Western world, we don't talk about death. We don't do death. We don't think about death. We have an abject terror of death. And then that's it. We don't, we don't talk about it in any other form. People, people who are dealing or have dealt with bereavement will always say one of the most difficult things is nobody carries on talking to them about their loss. Yes. Nobody keeps saying nobody will talk about the person that died either and say do you remember when they said this nobody wants to do that so that kind of it, it, and how do we do that when you know in London that you know there's all those hearts 
you know, there. It's like death is, is screaming in our face, and yet we still don't want to have to talk about it. We still don't we, we still don't know how to talk about it. We don't have a lot of language to talk about fear. We don't have a lot of language to talk about death or a fear of death or contagion fear and, and vulnerability. And so I think there's something about kind of thinking about normalizing the language around those things. Yeah. And I, I think that takes us to what we've had a chat about, Jessica, which is it it's uncomfortable to to perhaps look at it like this but I do think it's really important and I, I think we all do the new norm I know I use the new normal hashtag at the beginning because you just you, again you just you just fall into a, a tribal response and you know you, you don't necessarily think deeply about the next four months or something you just you just come together but I think new normal that the reality is and this it reminds me of death and our discomfort around talking about difficult things. Things have changed in lots of ways for really everybody there is change. No one wants their business model to have to be necessarily changed if they don't think they've got something to, to fall back on. So there's a massive change. There's the change in loss or, or you know, the differences to not being able to hug loved ones and family members. So in many, many ways has changed. And I think that's something that hit me talking to Jessica a little while ago, or you, Jessica, a little while ago, was about how I think what you're saying is getting comfortable, a business getting comfortable with talking about life and, and, and things changing instead of us not looking at it and kind of because it's uncomfortable talking about it, preparing for it and being together in it together, you know, the hashtag we all use. And I think that there was never a more important time now to kind of start to have a, a conversation and a narrative around change and dealing with change. Um, so, you know, just wonder what, you know, what your thoughts are on that. I think the main thing that employers need to realise is that they employ humans. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 I've I've said this before. Uh, I think in one of my posts or or something, I can't remember what it was for. That if you have a load of machinery, if you run a manufacturing line, it has to be serviced every single day. Uh, it has an emergency stop, and you have a procedure for the emergency stop, um, and it gets serviced regularly, and you have to make sure it's functioning at it at its best. You know. And that's something that you accept and that's something that you do. I, I, I don't, that's just not there for humans. It's just not, you know, we're supposed to, you know, you get, you get a lot of uh, that mentality from, from, you know, on high senior management of, well, I'm, I'm able to get up at 6.30 in the morning and start work at seven and go to bed, you know, and stop at 10 o'clock. So you can do it as well. And, and it's that kind of, oh okay well I don't really want to do that but okay it's I it just it's it's almost like you know starting at the beginning here and saying right do you realize you employ humans because that's that's, that's let's get that's that's get that out of the way first because if you don't then we need to go back a step <laughs> you know let's let's deal with that first and then let's acknowledge the fact that life has changed and you need to get to grips with that I think there's a lot of people that don't realise that they employ humans. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it's interesting. I was listening to you talk and I was thinking, 
it's funny how we use this term human resources. And I was thinking these issues really sit under health and safety, shouldn't they? Yes. It should sit under health and safety. You know, that's where these things sit. Making sure the resources, as you might like to call them, are functioning yes. at their full capacity would be a health and safety issue. To me, it's the same. If someone's feeling so anxious on Zoom that they can't contribute to their meeting, it's a health and safety issue. It's mm. a, an issue of the health and safety of that person, which you yeah. view as a resource. But it's, it's sort of... Yeah, there's something in that, isn't there? These these people are are human beings, and they have aspects of them that are going to need, you know, tuning up and checking and servicing. And if you mm. don't, they're going to get run down and broken. And it was funny actually. I mean, years ago, and I, I used to run um, workshops for a, a domestic violence service. And one of the one of the, the parts of the course was around um, self care, which has got a bit of a I don't know, it's a, it's a complicated thing and people don't always understand what it means. But I used to talk about, a lot about kind of being like, we're all like cars. And if you want your car to get from A to B, you're going to be able to, you need to know how to service it. You don't want to be breaking down by the side of the road halfway between here and, you know, Birmingham or wherever you're headed. But also accepting that most of us are not brand new Porsches, you know. Yeah. Most of us are like, you know, it's a, bit, a bit of an old banger. And, yeah. you know, it's I've still got one of those wind-up things for my windows and it doesn't, it jolts up and I need to make sure that I've got that bit of car cardboard handy just in case it keeps falling down and I, I need to drink water a lot more often than other people's engines seem to have to be checked and I need to know myself pretty well to then be able to say how do I take care and I guess that's it you need to know these human beings these resources that you employ take an interest you know listen to their stories how have they experienced this last year what's going on for them now how are they feeling about coming back to work and kind of build your health and safety around that and kind yeah. of, yeah, just give up. I mean, human resources is something I've, I've never really grasped and I've never sort of thought was really, really very useful. But we could really, you could, you, you could really put mental, emotional, physical well-being in the remit of health and safety and it would kind of make more sense. And if it was there, you'd probably have more policies and procedures that made sense, like regular servicing. Yeah. Of all the resources, including the humans, not just the chairs and the computers. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, yeah. For sure. I think, you know, one of the other things that kind of comes to my mind, kind of talking about this idea of people sort of being able to speak out about the reality of their experience and perhaps how painful that's been, is that, and, and, and not pretending that everything's okay, not kind of, you know, just washing over everything with this kind of everything's fine, we've all had a great time. I think that we, we or I certainly feel like I choose to be led by the Black Lives Matter movement in that I think it did a really good job at that. It did a really good job at just keeping saying, no, no, you're still wrong. It still yes. isn't okay. It still yeah. isn't okay. It still isn't okay. No, yeah. still isn't okay. Yeah. And it's sort of, and this is my experience and this is my experience and my experience is valid because I'm a human being. Yeah. Not, I don't have to be justified in any other way. I'm a human being. This is my experience and it's valid and just keeping being able to say that no matter what came back because like you say you're going to have those people that go well you know stiff up a lip I work 12 hours a day and I'm fine yeah it's like good for you I don't know that you are but okay you know <laughs> um yeah. but yeah. even in the face of those people kind of denying that we might all be suffering and struggling through this this difficult year and we might be suffering and struggling in the idea of going back to work or, or not going back to face-to-face -to -face work but there's something about kind of acknowledging the, yeah the humanity of people yeah and I don't think we necessarily recognize dis-ease as being about what has happened to us and what we've experienced mm. that's another thing that I have a particular interest um, obsession with I think I think yeah and what you were saying there just giving everybody the the opportunity to verbalize to have a voice 
to say because I I would say I've found many things easy but there's still been damage mm. um and it's recognizing what that was and, and how you go about the repair I mean it's funny you said all that Jen Mike and I went for a walk this morning and had the very same um conversation about um being able to kind of almost service have this service experience and um, an understanding that it's you know it's a lot more than just thinking somebody helping you think differently it doesn't do the repair work it's a lot deeper and more in depth so yeah um, yeah I think it's such a fascinating topic and I think the hybrid the return wherever we find ourselves being and working and what we've learned there's a, there's a long I don't know I want it I'm I'm really positive um, I think we have an opportunity here. I don't know what, what you both think. I think there's an opportunity to learn. My biggest thing, we have an opportunity to under, understand being a human animal. Um, mm. and fundamentally, that is the thing that's missing. Um, we're not born with that blueprint. We're very vulnerable um, at birth. We are reliant on our caregivers and, and whoever else is around us. So this perhaps is a little bit of a reset. Um, and I'd love your final thoughts really, as we kind of, as we kind of wind down to the end of what's been an amazing conversation yeah yeah I think um I think it is a reset is is absolutely it and we need to we need to stop a moment and realize that we are animals and that actually yeah I mean we're both reading the book Sapiens at the moment to understand you know where we come from and that actually there were many different humans existing on the planet at the same time and that ultimately we we did we did just live you know with the planet and with the environment and we're not actually better than any other animal and we have our faults and and we have our reasons for being and and I don't think any of us have learned that in exactly the same way that completely off topic us women don't really know much about our our menstrual cycles and our hormones and all of that kind of stuff and you know and it's all it's all put to one it's side because it's because it's icky and men don't like it but you know <laughs> yes yes well we need to relearn who we are and how we actually function i think we've just gone steaming on as humans going yes come on let's let's develop let's develop and and it's like no no wait stop because we still don't actually know the fundamentals of how we function physically we still think the brain is more important yet we don't understand anything about it. it it doesn't make any sense you know and and the trauma response is is one for me that is so fascinating that it's a natural thing yet we don't we don't understand how it works and it freaks us out and we think we're broken but it's yeah back to the drawing board i think <laughs> Yeah, I, again, I think I think reset definitely sort of says says it to me as well. And I think there's something about um, invulnerability. If we can be vulnerable and kind of own our experiences around whatever it is, whether it's the way we work or the way we're going to work or what's happened to us over the course of the last twelve months, if we can be vulnerable, I think one of the things that we often overcome is a sense of shame. And I think it is a sense of shame that has disconnected us from our body. And that's, you can see that in our histories, you can see that in our dissonance around sort of 
um, around the globe and different cultures. And it's, you know, I, I often, so I often say to clients, especially clients who have dogs because they're so useful, the quickest way to reset your nervous system is to copy your dog. They haven't forgotten how to live in their bodies. So just yawn, shake and stretch. Just, <laughs> just, just doing those three things will actually reset your autonomic nervous system back to, back to, back to something a little bit more kind of stable and content. That's why dogs and cats do it all day. Um, and that's why they're able to be quite responsive and reflexive and also quite loving and, and lovely. Um, dogs, anyway, maybe not cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, I think that's it. I think there's something about kind of reset. And for me, the reset is about kind of getting back to a place where we are not as disconnected from our bodies, from our environments, and from one another and those are the kind of we're disconnected from from other human beings from a sense of being a biological being in a in a biological world fantastic yeah absolutely so i think we'll put a few resources out there because mm -hmm. this has been amazing phenomenal yes and, so interesting and, I, and jen a million other conversations i can oh, see on the <laughs> so many so many yeah jessica i don't oh, think you're here at the age of 90. <laughs> Um, we'll still be going but no I think it's exciting um, yeah. we've got we've got an opportunity to reset we'll do our little bit and I think you know at least we're touching on things that are difficult mm. um, and it is an innovation and I love them it you know the winging it the making it up but somebody's got to do that yes somebody's yeah look at that and do that yeah. haven't they um yeah. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, that's that's how things, you know, it's, it's gap analysis, isn't it? You you notice that gap and you think, oh, actually, yeah, I, I, I think I can fill that. And yeah. 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 I mean, I've just spent years watching sort of psychotherapy, somatic psychotherapy. Great. And then over here, there's kind of yoga, mindfulness. There's even yoga therapy. Yeah. But there's a hole in the middle. Yeah. There's a hole. There's a gap in the middle where these things should be meeting, where yeah. we don't have to necessarily do therapy to be taking good care of ourselves. But if we do it without an understanding of our emotional and psychological self, which is what often happens in mindfulness and yoga, which is where it becomes quite dangerous, in fact, and it can hurt people, or it can just be boring and useless and people don't know how to use it because it isn't individual and responsive, like you were saying, Jane, then it's like that, that's where the hole is, where these different things can actually meet, yeah. you know, and sort of use all that knowledge from over there and that knowledge from over there and kind of make something that, that, that actually makes sense. It's not a sticking plaster, which is how I have often experienced mindfulness and yoga. Just do more mindfulness and yoga and it's like, okay, but I still feel rubbish, but then I'm going to therapy and it's like, just understand your psyche and your history and your patterns. And, and even in somatic therapies where I've done that, it's like, okay, understand it within the framework of your body, but I've got no tools and I don't know what to do when I'm not in my, my session. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. it's like, these things need to be, they need to be, they need to live together. Yeah. But I think in a sense, what you're looking at is mind and body. Here's all the psychologists and the psychiatrists and psychotherapists, even the ones that acknowledge body. And here's all the, you know, the Feldenkrais teachers and the Qigong people and the mindfulness and the yoga, and that's fantastic. But they don't always understand mental health and emotions and feelings and psychology. And so- Bring those two together. Bring them together. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.